on your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. What a day, ladies and gentlemen. What a week. It's Friday. We've reached the end of another uh, tumultuous week, I'd have to say, in the world, a dangerous world of international politics. Even as we speak, uh, the British Navy is out there rescuing all sorts of people from all over the world and bringing them here because that's what we do. We're a very welcoming country, aren't we? Let's go, uh, never mind the channel, let's go into the Suez Canal, see if we've got anybody there we can rescue. How about we pop down to, I don't know, uh, the Sargassan Sea, uh, possibly uh, the Caspian Sea, there might be a few people there that need rescue. Mediterranean, certainly, there'll be people who are leaving Libya uh, who can just come straight here. Don't worry about passing through Italy, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, you know, France. Don't bother. Let's just go straight to the source of the immigrants and bring them here straight away. And in fact, we could give them a load of money, uh, promise them a house. I mean, you might as well do that right now because this is where we are. The Navy and the RNLI uh, are conspiring to fill this country with immigrants uh, who are not actually supposed to be here at all. Richard Tice is here with you this morning, just as outraged as I was yesterday about these numbers that we found. 1.2 million people coming legally. Forget about the people coming on small boats. They're still coming illegally. Everybody's coming to Britain. And yet the left keep telling us it's such a terrible place, full of racists, full of nastiness, full of horrible Tories who are just like the Nazis. Really? Well, why is everyone coming here then? Why don't they bugger off and go somewhere else? 0344 499 1000 is the number to call. Angela Rayner's got a new pair of headphones, by the way. Uh, she wanted to charge the taxpayer 139 quid for them. This is the third pair. She's very careless with these headphones. I don't know where she loses them. They're easily lost in bed, I know that. Um, but if, if she maybe gets some red ones instead of some white ones, she might be able to see them when she leaves them in wherever it is that she sleeps. But she's charged another 139 quid to the taxpayer. And then when she was asked about it by the son, uh, she paid the money back. So one victory for us, a small victory. £139 better off we are this morning. We're also going to be talking to Alex Salmon this morning about why Scotland doesn't want anybody from England to go and visit there because uh, Humza Useless wants to charge us a visitor tax. Really? You should be so lucky, mate. You won't even be First Minister by the time the summer rolls around. We're also going to get Simon Calder on uh, because this is the biggest holiday getaway apparently since Covid. So if you're going anywhere, you might wish to beware because uh, you might not be able to get back unless, of course, you come on a dinghy with the RNLI. 0344-499-1000. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. There's loads to do. Let's get it on. Border farce, I think, is the right uh, phrase. We used it yesterday. I'm glad to see that uh, over 100,000 people have now seen my rant from the numbers of figures yesterday. But, Richard, a very good morning to you. Um, our I'm, fears I'm gonna, I'm, were... I'm, I can't use the word good, Mike. Yes. It's a morning. Mm. Uh, it is bright and blue out it there. It is. The weather's and nice. And for those lucky 50 uh, migrants that came across the channel courtesy of Border Force, yeah. because they refused, despite the fact they are actually criminals mm. breaking the law, they yeah. refused to go back to France. Um, they're waking up to sunshine and uh, a, nice no doubt, a very nice breakfast yeah. at our expense. This is an absolute outrage. It really and is. I am steaming mad about yeah, it. Yeah, well, let's have because, a listen. Yeah, let's have, have a, a listen. listen to the exchange between the captains uh, of two ships in the channel yesterday. We, we ask to the dinghy uh, if uh, they need uh, assistance. Uh, they say uh, to me no. Uh, they want uh, they want uh, UK assistance. Uh, waiting for UK assistance. Uh, we are in present now, happy to uh, effect our rescue. We are in a position to come and rescue them. Um, basically, the French saying they say no. We do not want you. We want the British to rescue us. I mean, what's going on? But who took the decision yeah. that this is a good idea to actually 
go and pick these people up when the French were there to pick them up, which we're paying mm. the French border force to do. Let's right. not forget that Rishi Sunak has agreed to pay about half a billion pounds of our taxpayers' mm. cash in order to stop this nonsense yeah. so that those border force in France would pick them up and take them back to France. That's the whole deal, That's folks. the whole deal. Also, that they were in... the gig. I'm, I suppose my understanding is they were in French waters because there are no international waters in the channel. You're I either in care. French waters or in British waters. We don't rescue people from French waters. The French people do. Correct. But actually, I don't care if they're in English waters. We are paying these people to stop this nonsense. Yeah. Everybody wants it stopped. The only way you stop it is if all those migrants know they're going back to France. What this has done is set the most appalling precedent mm. where more and more of these illegal criminals crossing the English Channel will say, uh, no, I, 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 want to go to, I want to go to England. Please don't rescue me and take me back to France. Yeah. That's what it's... A, so it's actually going to increase the numbers and it's going to change the tactics well, of the this whole will be arrangement. The, this will be the next advert that gets put on uh, TikTok, won't it? Yeah, make sure you get onto a boat because as soon as you're on the boat, if the French come anywhere near you, just say, no, we don't want you, we want the British. It's about a complete failure of, dis, uh, of leadership by our public services and they should the the, uh, the royal navy should clearly have been told that everybody has to go back to france and that you do not uh, pick people up who've been escorted mm. by the french navy you reject these sort of requests mm. whoever made that decision should at the very least be disciplined right. frankly should probably be fired should we that not has be, calling, be setting as, an as, as they like to do in parliament should we not be calling for an inquiry here who has ordered this why have they ordered it and why have they complied I, with the I, French I don't order? want to waste time and money and resources in an yeah. inquiry. I just want sensible, common sense leadership decisions made by people who are paid to do that. Yes. And if they can't do that, if they don't want to take those decisions, then please go and get another job somewhere else. Let's not forget, we did have the Navy patrolling in the Channel last year. And after a few months of not doing very much of anything, they gave up. Yeah. I don't know what the, who was in charge of that operation Well, look, this is, this is Border Force, so it's obviously a, uh, it's a different section within our, our, our... Well, this our, is the Home our, Office, isn't it? So that's... Uh, Basically. That's right. It's, it's the Home Office. But what it's about is the quality of decision-making. Mm. Whoever is taking it, and it's just not good enough, and it's costing us hundreds of millions of pounds. So we're sending hundreds of millions to the French. Now, these people have arrived here. That's going to cost us millions of pounds. Yeah. And so it goes on, and it won't stop. No, it won't. Let's look at those numbers from yesterday as well, because I know you were very uh, much all across that yesterday during your various different broadcasts and, 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 and tweet, tweets and all the rest of it. Looking at the numbers, it's very clear that there's people coming here supposedly to study who are not studying, people coming here supposedly to work who are not working, and there's all sorts of other people coming seeking asylum, other people who are relatives of those coming to supposedly study or work. You know, the whole thing is a complete and utter mess. It's a shambles. But, but this is... Let's remember, this is a shambles that has been deliberately created by this Conservative government who changed the policies to create an open borders policy who made it easier for everybody to come, easier for dependents of students to come. No dependents of students need to come. No. If international students are going to come here, they should come here to study, right, and then... There's a decision as to where they want right. to work. Many will go home same, to work. Same goes for people coming here to work. I went to New York to work when I was 23 years old. I didn't say, I'm bringing my parents, uh, I'm bringing my sister, I'm bringing various other members of my family. You go on your own. You but go to a foreign country This to government, work. Mike, has deliberately made it easier. And so what has happened, surprise, surprise, the numbers have soared. Mm. And here's the thing that very few people have yet picked up. 
So the numbers, the, the lawful numbers yesterday were from the Office of National Statistics. Yes. The Home Office also produced the numbers of the visas granted yeah. in the first quarter of 2023. The number of work visas is 70% higher than a year ago. So we can absolutely expect well, the, that the, these gross numbers will continue throughout the whole of 2023. Right. Nothing will change. It may even get higher. Well, Where the work. The work let me just give you the work visa number because I've got it in front of me here. Uh, Jamie Jenkins ran the line over all these yesterday for us. Two hundred thirty-five thousand uh, in 2022 came to work, right? So if that means you're going to get another hundred and forty thousand, that means you'll be look, you'll be looking at uh, close to four hundred thousand people in the first to work. quarter of this year. Yeah. One hundred forty-nine thousand nine hundred thirty-six work visas have been granted. Yeah. So that is seventy percent higher than the same quarter a year ago. This is going completely through the roof, yeah. deliberately by this government that have, have they've misled us, they've deceived us, they've yeah. lied to the British people because they promised in four separate general elections, in one referendum, that they would bring the numbers down. They recognised mm. that that's what the people of this country yeah. wanted. They got votes on the back of it and instead they've done exactly the opposite. Nobody should ever trust the Conservative Party ever again. Mm with regard to numbers on immigration. You know it's bad when actually people trust the Labour Party. Yeah. Even well, more on immigration. But you can't trust them either. Than, of course you can't. They want open borders. They both want open borders. Yeah. And Last night on Question Time, right, there was a very good question asked by the first person to put a question to the panel. And the question was, how many is enough? At what point, at what number per year do you say we should be allowing in to this country? And not one of the politicians from either Labour Conservative or the Lib Dems would give a number. Not Weak, one of them. feeble, Not gutless. Right. I'm very clear what the number is. The number is zero. Net, no, the number is net zero. Net zero. I heard you say this so, yesterday. So, and that is our policy. Right. So that because about four, between four and five hundred thousand people emigrate every mm. year, albeit it's a slightly sort of general number. Yeah. But that's the that's the the, the rough number. And it's fairly. Well, be, after, after what I was told yesterday, there's going to be a lot more people emigrating because they're well, sick to death of people are here. sick to death of it. So what I say is, look. Yes, where we've got skill shortages, mm. let's welcome the same number into the UK. But they've got to be genuine skill shortages by people who are going to add value to their, the community, add value to the economy, mm. rather than lots and lots of low-skilled, low-wage people who essentially actually going to... They're not going to be a, a value-add to the economy and mm. to our country. They're going to be a, a cost, an economic cost. And we've been told this lie for 15 mm. to 20 years by yeah. politicians that uh, immigration is a net economic positive. It isn't. And, but it, we know it's not now right. because the chair of the Office for Budget Responsibility admitted as much on another radio programme mm. a couple of months ago when he said, per head, there's no benefit. Yeah. And that was a defining moment. Yeah. We have to understand that. It's actually, for many, many people, it's an economic cost. Why do you think we've got a housing crisis, yeah. an affordability crisis? Mm. Why can't we see a GP? Right. Why are operation waiting lists yeah. so high? But all the because lefties, the population course, is going through the roof. But all the lefties say, oh, but they don't have any impact on the uh, uh, social services of this country or on the, um, the infrastructure of this country. How can you possibly say that 1.2 million people coming here from other countries is not putting a strain on all sorts of things? And in a year when we built just over 200,000 homes, and yeah. the average number of people per home you is know, just over two. Are these, are these people... You know, like superhuman, they don't ever need a doctor, they don't ever need a dentist, they don't have children that go to school, apparently they don't need a house to live in. Absolute BS, quite frankly. It's, um, it's the most basic uh, law of economics, yeah. 
that uh, essentially, if, if if the demand goes up, then guess what? The yeah. price goes up. We well are paying say, the price for you it. You might as well say, if we invite 100 people to stand in this room uh, while you and I do a show, it won't make any difference. It'll be absolutely fine. Uh, there'll be no uh, change in the quality of the amazing broadcasting that we're currently doing for you. You know, but of course it would be difficult, right? But here's the other thing. If, in fact, immigration is the answer to solving all problems of unemployment, why have we got a million uh, job vacancies? But the truth is that it's not. None of the politicians in Westminster want to deal with the, the fact that we've got 5.2 million people on out-of-work benefits, mm. one in eight of the working population. These are British people for whom many, many of them want to work, but actually on a net basis at the end of each week, it doesn't pay to work. Because yeah. if you're in work, you're taxed so heavily, even on modest and low incomes, that it doesn't pay to work. You've got to make work pay. It's the most simple, basic, fundamental mm. problem with this country today. So we're bringing in lots of low-skilled cheap labour from overseas, yeah. and yet we're paying uh, 5 million people uh, to stay at home. It's, it's madness. Well, I had Matt it's Vickers the economies on of madness. I had Matt Vickers on yesterday, who's deputy chairman of the Tory party. He's partly responsible. And he said, well, I did, well, I was better than that. He said, well, you know, the problem here is that, you know, there's all these people who are uh, not economically active. I said, well, that's your fault. You've made that possible. The Tory government over the last 13 years has made it possible to make more money by not working than to actually go to work. I'm sick to death of these Tory MPs yeah. blathering and waffling and wibbling mm. a day in, day out, saying, oh, yes, we're going to get it down. I mean, the Prime Minister says yeah. the numbers are too high. Robert Jenrick says the numbers are right. too high. They're too high because you have deliberately created mm. a policy that allowed the numbers to soar. You can't get away from this. No. You have betrayed the British people. And there will be a day of reckoning there on will. the Conservative Party. Have a look at these numbers here. The number of visas issued to foreign workers and their families has nearly doubled in just a year from 276,500 to 488,000 in the year to March, according to Home Office data. It is the highest number for at least two decades and more than double the pre-Brexit average of between 150 and 180,000. And it apparently comprises 300,000 workers. Get this, 188,000 dependents. So what are they doing? Well, you know what they're doing. They're, they're, going, to be a, they're going to be an economic cost yeah. on the rest of us taxpayers. It's insane. It's, it really is. Incredible. It's, it's, it's hard to know where to go from it. It really, it really is. is. I mean, you can tell we're pretty worked up about this, and so should you be as well, because this is the place to be if you want to hear common sense, if you want to hear the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Don't put on this morning uh, where you see the Prime Minister waffling on about how the numbers are too big and we're going to bring them down. Really? Are you? Well, why do you keep inviting more people in? And why do you keep rescuing people in the channel who don't belong here? Absolutely disgraceful behaviour. This government is not fit for purpose. This is Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Richard Tice is here with me from the Reform Party, of course. There's lots to talk about, Richard, this morning, in addition to the, the fallout from the immigration story and also that ridiculous rescue of the channel yesterday. Um, what about Germany? Apparently they're in a recession. Well, this is extraordinary, How is this possible? Isn't it? Because apparently... Uh, the UK economy was always going to be far worse off yes. than any economy in the whole of the remaining 27 countries in the European Union because we had left the European Union. Yeah. And here we are. This week, we discover that Germany, uh, the sort of the, the, the poster child mm. of all economies across the whole of the EU, is in recession. recession. Yeah. Yes. They're two actually, quarters in a row. Two quarters in a row where the, the size of their economy mm. is declining. So they're doing even worse than we're doing. Yeah. So what I'd like... The FBPE brigade are a bit quiet about this. They seem to be very, they very... Seem, maybe they've it, taken an early bank holiday. Maybe they have, yeah. They've gone away to Germany, perhaps. To, perhaps uh, they've to gone to try and boost the economy, economy, to prop it up. Mm. But, uh, no, this is this is really, really a, a remarkable 
thing, which proves the complete nonsense that we've been told by the whinging, whining Ramonas, yes. who just uh, are just a bunch of sore losers. And uh, the, the fact is that they're in uh, economic trouble because they've raised their taxes too Stuck, high. Stuck, someone Stuck, because, they are, because their energy prices are up, just like right. ours. And uh, you know, the, the fact is, they've got significant problems. They became over-reliant on Russian gas, just like Donald Trump told them. Absolutely. You know. So, uh, yes, the German economy is in trouble. And, you know, I'm not saying that our economy is in great shape. It's not, because, again, we've got high taxes. Mm. We've got high energy costs, even though we've got huge quantities of energy treasure under our feet. Mm. But we're not doing as badly as Germany. And we left the European Union. So we've got the potential as long as you grasp that potential, mm. grasp that opportunity of growing fast from here. But it's not going to happen under this Conservative it's government. It's not, because Jeremy Hunt, at the same time, is seeing how terribly badly the German economy is going. He's saying today, well, don't worry, we're going to have to keep raising interest rates because that's the way forward. That's the way to get out of a recession. Well, first of all, we're not in a recession. And second of all, interest rates are high enough. They don't need to be raised anymore. And here's the point. And the proof that this man, who is the Chancellor of the Exchequer, is economically illiterate, mm. he thinks that we've got high inflation and that it's not coming down fast enough, so you've got to raise rates even higher from 4.5%. Yeah. But Germany, right, the, sorry, the ECB, the European interest rate, is lower than ours, right? But guess what? Their inflation mm. is also lower than ours. There is the proof, yeah. right, that you can have lower interest rates and lower inflation. This inflation that we've got, it's not caused by an excess of demand, mm. which is one type of inflation, right. what they call demand pull. It's caused by the input prices, the cost going up mm. because of the cost of energy, because of the cost of our imported food from all over the world. Right. Those are the reasons that inflation has gone up and because, because of the high taxes by this government that's put taxes on consumer goods when it should be cutting taxes, yes. which would cut inflation. Well, exactly. All of these things are completely achievable to halve inflation, which is Sunak's pledge, without penalising us and killing off what's left of our spluttering right. economy. And what do you think this government is frightened of? Because we've been saying for a long time that this government is not fit for purpose. It doesn't seem to understand conservative values. It has too high rates of tax. It has too high rates of immigration. It has too high rates of crime. All the three things which you would think would define conservatism, you know, good on law and order, uh, strong on immigration, strong on your borders, and strong on, on taxes, keeping them low. They've done none of that. Mike, they're not What's afraid, going on? It's very simple. They're not afraid of anything mm. except losing power. And they will do anything to cling desperately onto power. Mm. And all of this is about just being in charge. They've got no principles, no convictions which about masters anything. are they serving then? Maybe it's another question. Because, they're because they're, they're serving to be... themselves to stay mm. in power for as long as possible. But to surely to stay in power, they need to make themselves more popular with the electorate, which is exactly what they're not doing. Um, yeah, but they're, but they're so incompetent. And eventually, I mean, they've been in power now for 13 years, eventually you run out of road. Mm. And they are very rapidly running out of road because their, their waffle, their deceit, their deliberately misleading of the British people, and fundamentally, I regret to say, their lies, mm. are being found out. They are bubbling to the surface, and the people have had enough, really enough. Mm. And you can see that when you start to see what's happening, for example, with, we're seeing citizens of this country, law-abiding citizens, right, who want to be the right side of the law, having to take matters into their own hands because the authorities... Uh, the police, uh, the mayor of London are doing things that are so against mm. uh, the, the, the good wishes and the benefits of citizens. So you've seen 
Uh, the speaking, motorist. Speaking of the mayor of London, I've got his book here. Um, and why have you got his book? Something rather amusing has happened, right? <laughs> the pe people that have printed it have printed it out of focus. I mean, it's That's literally classic. the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. You, you open the page and you kind of go and you're doing one of those, like some kind of parallax view. Um, it's all out of focus. It's obviously not been... Maybe the printer's a Brexiteer. It's not been calibrated <laughs> properly. So, quite frankly, I wouldn't bother reading it. Um, go but, put it in the bin. But seriously, you know things are bad yeah. when law-abiding Brits are taking the law into their own hands... You saw it with the Just Up Oil protesters. That motorist yeah. has the, the good wishes yes, the hero. of the hero of millions of people. Yeah. Another uh, hero was the uh, the lady who took, picked up the hosepipe at the Chelsea Flower really? Show. The Revenge and, of Middle Britain, I was calling I tell that you what, last night. And this is the thing. But you now got a report in the Times, the bastion of the establishment, admitting that hundreds of cameras around London mm. are being taken down, yeah. are being uh, blocked up, are being damaged. We're not condoning violence or breaking the law. Of course not. But this is what happens if you run the country or run local authorities so against to the against the, the wishes and the benefit mm. of the British people. Eventually, uh, people say enough is yeah. enough. You've seen it in the Netherlands. You've seen it in France. Yeah. And I worry we're beginning to see it here because of the levelling incompetence yeah. of our leaders at every single level. Exactly right. Well, the one cheer that Laura Trott got, the Conservative, on the panel of the Question Time last night was when she said uh, that the Tory party is going to stop the expansion of ULEs uh, in places like Gravesend and around uh, you know, the Kent and, and Sussex borders uh, and also Essex as well, because that is the one thing that the people of those again, places don't want. This lady, Laura Trott, has lied live on TV because if they genuinely wanted to stop it, the Prime Minister could pass a bill through the Commons to stop it. Yeah. But he won't do it. Instead, he's, they're hoping that uh, they might get one of their eight candidates elected. They've got no chance, mm. zero, because some of those candidates are pro-net zero. They're not even set campaigning mm. to scrap the ULEZ expansion. Yeah. So, look, I'm afraid she's talked absolute nonsense again She's misled people live on TV yeah. about what their intentions are. Yeah, it's extraordinary what they're getting away with. But, you know, we could talk about this for hours, Richard, and maybe you and I should do a sort of marathon weekend sort of 24-hour <laughs> show in order to cover all of this stuff. But let's talk about Sunday. You're back uh, Sunday. I'm back on Sunday, the, uh, and it, Sunday obviously sermon. the Sunday sermon will be... Uh, I'm, I'll try and make it a calm affair, but I yeah. think I may struggle, to be honest, because well, there's so much to get yeah. wound up about at well, the moment. Well, by, by the time you get to Sunday, you know, there'll <laughs> be about another thousand people here from uh, from the small boats uh, brigade, and there'll be more and more people having a nice warm English breakfast as you struggle to get to work. You know, it's absolutely ridiculous. People are getting sick to the back teeth. The number of people who want to get on today is absolutely off the scale, and all of them are angry as hell, because why wouldn't you be? And because we don't we're want to be getting, angry. You know, every time we turn around, there's another tax, you know, there's another or, you know, order coming through the post that you've got to pay for some fine or other that you didn't know you'd, you'd, you'd incurred. You know, people are having absolutely no luck getting houses because there aren't any. People can't buy things because they're too expensive. And yet, if you come here with nothing from a foreign land, you're given everything. The simple fact is that for most people up and down the country, the quality of life in the United Kingdom is getting worse, not better. Mm. And the whole role of any government, any political party, is to make lives better 
fought the citizens of this country. Mm. And it's an absolute tragedy with so much potential, so much opportunity being wasted mm. by incompetent buffoons, clowns, fibbers, mm. liars mm. in the, the halls of Westminster. And it just infuriates yeah. me. Yeah, couldn't put it better myself. Well played. Richard Tice, back on Sunday, 10 o'clock. Don't miss it. It'll be an absolute rip snorter. Uh, coming up next, we're going to be speaking to Dr. Lawrence Gurlis because apparently um, GPs are going to get a bonus if you volunteer for a clinical trial. So don't worry if you start twitching. Uh, the doctor's getting richer. Well done. Brilliant. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. What a way to start a show. Richard Tice absolutely in full flow there. Not happy with this Tory government. I'm pre pretty sure you're not either. Gabby says this to Mike. 50 illegal immigrants were in French waters. The French Navy needs to pick them up and take them back to France. They have no right to be in the UK. So the Royal Navy should protect our borders and no picking up people in French waters and bringing them into England. That is not protecting our borders. Again, they have no right to come here. Name and shame the officer who made the decision to collect them and explain why. Brian says this. Has number 10 stated that Sunak has been on the phone to Macron to get the French Navy captain sacked yet? Uh, and Rob says, hi, Mike. Please ask Richard Tice if he's going to stand reform candidates in every UK constituency. This will be the best way to start to affect real change. Well, we have asked him that question before. And I think the answer to that is they're going to stand candidates in as many places as they possibly can. Uh, and obviously they will be quite, uh, what you might say, um, tactical about it as well. So they will stand candidates in places where they believe uh, they can either get in or stop Labour, presumably, from getting in, or maybe even stop the Tories from getting in. Who knows? I don't uh, know the inside workings of the Reform Party because I am, as you know, politically neutral, obviously. Uh, Lawrence Gurlis is here. They're all laughing about it. I don't know why. Lawrence Gurlis is here, uh, doctor at... Uh, same day, Doctor GP, of course. Lawrence, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. So, uh, according to the Times this morning, a bonus coming your way if patients take part in clinical trials. Um, what's this all about? Yeah, I saw that report from Lord O'Shaughnessy, who saw that we're not doing enough clinical trials in this country. Mm. And then, without really thinking, he said, oh, maybe we should be doing more trials in general practice. Let me say, Mike, I spent a number of years in clinical research. Mm. I organise clinical trials, both in hospitals and general practice. Uh, clinical trials are very complex and highly regulated. Yeah. A clinical trial protocol can be 100 pages long. Patient record forms, equally complicated. If you're seeing a patient, you have to document their findings, both in their notes and on the record forms, and then someone comes on auditing. Good clinical practice is highly complex. You need ethics committee approval. You need consent. It is not the old days of the 1970s, where you could throw a few tablets at a GP with a postcard and say, just fill this in. I'm afraid this is a bit naive, very naive, and doesn't reflect what's going on in today's general practice, where GPs don't even have time to see you if you've got chest pain, right. um, let alone do clinical research. So that was my first thought, uh, Mike. It's, it's a bit ridiculous, and it, it probably almost certainly won't happen. Well, it's one of these things, again, that sounds like a great idea, but once you actually examine the nitty-gritty of it all, you kind of go, really? Um, there isn't time for this. It's a bit like when uh, they decided it'd be a great idea to hand over some of the uh, functions of GP surgeries to pharmacies. Not a bad idea, but yeah. the pharmacies will need more help then to make sure they've got enough people, because yeah. every pharmacy I ever go anywhere near uh, has got a queue a mile long, and you have to wait about 10 minutes or 15 minutes before you can even see anybody. Well, the, the, the problem with today is everyone has great ideas, and some of these ideas cost money. I mean, the Nightingale Hospitals, for example. Some of these ideas actually go into practice, and, and then they don't work. And I could have told you in advance they wouldn't work because there's not enough staff. Mm. We had the Darcy Centres where it was not a hospital or a GP, but somewhere you could go and have 
an X-ray or a scan. Those didn't work. And I hear that someone's tried to resurrect that idea. All of these ideas are fine until you try to put them into practice. And what you and I know is that nothing, nothing pretty much works in the health service in practice. Having said that, I see these clinical trials obviously are going to be paid to the GP. I will say my local GP surgery was open on a Saturday recently, and I was very surprised. But when I inquired more, it wasn't open to see uh, patients who are sick. It was open for COVID vaccines oh, because yeah. the GPs are being paid extra to do the COVID vaccines. Oh, these vaccines. are the GPs who don't want to work so hard because they're under yeah. terrible pressure. They don't yeah, mind working right. a bit extra on a Saturday as long as they're getting extra moolah for it. Well, yeah. I mean, I've got NHS data in front of me here. You won't be surprised to know, uh, Lawrence, in which it says that basically one in every five GP practices in England and Wales has closed since 2013. Yeah. Um, in yeah. particular, that's happening in deprived neighbourhoods. Yeah, because they're practice, not making enough money out of them. Well, yeah, the the, the, the GP contract is, is is very tough. You know, a doctor gets one hundred and sixty eight pounds a year for looking after someone, no matter how many times they turn up. Right. The average patient used to attend three times a year; they now attend eight times a year. I don't know why people, are, you know, are three times sicker now than they were a few years ago. Mm. So, you know, general practice is in crisis, and I say this to the junior doctors: Yes, you may be going on strike. But the real problem, there are 30% more hospital doctors than there were 10 years ago. The real crisis, real recruitment and retention problem mm. in general practice, and it, it, it could easily fall apart. Labour Party now saying they'll get rid of uh, the, the partnership model, so everyone will be an employee. Mm. Well, good luck with that, Mike. You have an employee, and by the time you pay them holiday pay, sick pay, study leave, you know, they're only there two-thirds of the year. Yeah. So that's not going to work in general practice. But I'm looking forward to seeing that one fail as well, Mike. Yeah, Because they all fail. All well, these initiatives. Well, of course yeah. they do, because it's once again a sticking plaster on a gaping wound. You know, yeah. no planning yeah. has been done in this country for what yeah. I would seem to be no. the best part of 15 to 20 years. You know, yeah. and nobody knows the answer to anything. And everything's a kind of yeah. a... a, a uh, an immediate quick fix everything's you know a panic ba uh, um, method everything is kind of just a, um what can only be described as a short-term you know short hope, hit and hope kind of scenario isn't it and it's headline grabbing as mm. well what we heard the other day that we're going to have an app so that you can go on and find a local hospital to have a hip replacement that what that's going to work is it seriously yeah. And you're going to go on. First of all, you're going to have to have been on the waiting list for 18 months before yeah. that's activated. What you're going to go on, say, oh, the local private hospital do my hip, and the NHS will pay for it. Yeah. No way that's ever going to work. Well, like, also, no you way. know, if you, if you happen to get an appointment, uh, you'll get to the hospital and they'll say, sorry, we can't do it today because we haven't got any nurses. They're all yeah. on strike. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. the other the other problem is, I mean, I've been castigated for the last 24 hours because I put out um, a little monologue yesterday about the numbers of people coming to this country. 1.2 million people came in 2022. I don't care about the ones that left. 1.2 yeah. million new people came here. And, and I'm saying, you know, no wonder you can't get a doctor, no wonder you can't get a dentist, all the yeah. rest of it. You know, no wonder you can't find a house. People are going, oh, but, you know, these people don't put a strain on uh, on the NHS. They don't put a strain on, on the infrastructure of the country. Well, of course they bloody do. Yeah. I've had that argument with people. Like you, Mike, I'm not politically aligned at all. Right. But, you know, people have said to me that young, healthy immigrants don't ask for health care. Too right they do. And especially children, children with their vaccination requirements, yeah. their frequent um, infections, um, and and young immigrants also um, will do put strain on the health service. Of course they There's will. No doubt I mean, also, they're human beings, right? So they get ill. They go to the doctor. They of need course. to put their children yeah. to school. Schools are full of people with germs. 
Kids get yeah. sick. If they bring yeah. older relatives with them, the older relatives need support. You know, it's nonsensical to say that 1.2 million extra people do not put a strain on the health service. Yeah, no, absolutely. We, the infrastructure isn't there. And it's another reason why uh, general practice and the NHS in general is, is heading for, for a crisis. But, you know, I try to solve this. I try to say, let's have a social insurance system. Mm. And I get shouted down, mainly by doctors, I have to say. Yeah. It's the doctors that resist this. And then those same, same doctors put something on social media say, oh, look, look how much I could earn in Australia. Mm. Yeah. Well, then why go, get lost. Australia? If you don't want to stay here, go to Australia. Yeah, but do you know why they can pay more in Australia? Because they have a social insurance system whereby <laughs> you, you, take, you take out insurance. So the same doctors that reject the idea in this country are quite happy to say, oh, I'll go and work in Australia where patients pay insurance to get, to get medical cover. Uh, and it's, uh, that's hypocritical in my view. Well, I mean, never mind, uh, the, the, never mind the Hippocratic Oath. It's a hypocritical oath I'm yeah. worried about in the NHS. No, absolutely. All, these do- all these bleeding doctors, holier than thou. Oh, we welcome yeah. everybody into the country. Oh, by the way, we're yeah. only open three days a week. Uh, we'll see you later yeah. on the golf course. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, shocking. It is shocking. And the junior doctors, another three-day strike. That's 10 days' worth of strike. What have those strikes achieved? You know, well, what they've achieved is of- to shut down the NHS and make it even yeah. more difficult to get yourself fixed. Exactly. And when you say to those doctors you're harming patients, they come up with a rather puerile response, which is easy. It would, I'd like to unpick the puerile response is, oh, um, uh, well, the government's harming patients, yeah. so we're doing this for the benefit of the patients. No, they're not. They're doing it for more money. Yeah. It may improve recruitment and retention in the future. That may or may not improve the health service. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. But that's not the reason they're striking. And a strike by doctors will harm patients. Of course it will. I don't mind the doctors striking as long as they I acknowledge do. that those strikes harm patients. Yeah, they should be honest with us and they should be honest yeah. with themselves and they should stop exactly. pussyfooting around and pretending that, that they're all Labour voting good people because they're not. They're nasty people and they shouldn't be in the business they're in because if they had any heart whatsoever, they would never go on strike. But listen, Lawrence Gurlis, what a sensible doctor. The most sensible doctor award goes to Lawrence Gurlis today, at GP at Same Day Doctor. All these bozos saying, oh, we could go to Australia and work. Yeah, because they've got a different system uh, which actually does work, unlike the one here unlike the one the NHS is completely mangling. Coming up, we'll take some of your calls. There's loads of you want to talk to us. 0344 499 is the number. Um, we'll start talking a little bit about knighthoods as well. I don't want one, do you? This is Talk TV. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. We are here, of course. It is Friday, uh, so we're going into another, yeah, another bank holiday weekend. I think that's the third one this month. Is it any wonder the economy's down the gurgler? I mean, people just don't like working anymore in this country. We'll come back to that, more of that, very shortly. Uh, also, coming up in this hour, uh, we're going to be looking up uh, what you have to say about the immigration debate. Loads of you still uh, want to hear what's going on in France, where uh, apparently if you call uh, the border force, they'll just come and bring you over. I mean, they might as well not get in the small boats. They might as well just get border force to go to uh, the Normandy coast, pick them up and bring them back. Alex Salmond is here, uh, former First Minister of Scotland, of course, leader of the ALBA party. I keep meaning to ask you, actually, when you say ALBA... Morning, by the way. Um, When you say Alba, you say it in a sort of slightly flourishy way. Well, that's because I've been practising my Gaelic. Ah. The the Gaelic pronunciation is Alapa. Alapa. But but the English or Scots pronunciation is Alba. It's like... 
Paris and Paris. Right. So Alapa. So, so I, I spent, say, that's very good. Should mate. I say it took that, me then? months to do that? Yes, months. Well, we like to use these uh, big Gaelic that's words, right. they, like mm-hmm. Burach and all that sort of thing. Yes, well, Burach's um, good. Yeah, Burach is good. <laughs> that's another one. Stramash is the other one we like. Well, Stramash um, is a Scottish one. It is. Now uh, we've got lots to talk about this morning. The SNP apparently could be losing twenty-one MPs at the next general election. I assume that means they will lose them to um, the Labour Party, mm. but could they lose some of them to you guys? Well, we've got to, and uh, you know, so we'll be fighting hard to retain them and to gain seats. I, incidentally, you know, they've got this slightly condemned people. Yes. The Scottish press have got all the pictures of the SNP MPs who, who apparently, according to them, are destined to lose. Now, if we keep, if the SNP keeps doing what it's doing, they, they will lose these seats. Mm. There is a way to transform the prospects, uh, and that is to take up the suggestion of having a one candidate for each seat fighting on independence. Right. Uh, a Scotland United for Independence candidate. Yes. And that way you'll downplay the SNP bit, which is a bit unpopular just now because the SNP's right. trials and tribulations. Self harm. And up the independence bit, yeah. which is very popular just now, demonstrated <laughs> dramatically in a Mori poll mm. just yesterday, I think right. it was showing 53% for independence, but the SNP support going down by 10%. Right. And the way, to, the way to solve this, and, you know, sometimes, I know when you're in the firing line of politics, it's sometimes difficult to make the big step. Mm. But the, the way, the rational way to act is to say, yeah, let's have one independence candidate, pair each seat, and we'll stress the independence argument and look for a, a mandate to negotiate yeah. independence. Well, that <clears throat> may sound like a good idea to you, but to me it sounds like a recipe for disaster because what I think it would do uh, would expose the SNP for the party it is, which is actually not the party of independence, but in fact a party that people voted for for a variety of reasons. You know, they didn't like the status quo, they didn't like Westminster, so they went, oh, we'll vote for the SNP. Because I don't think that everybody votes for the SNP uh, in Scotland actually wants independence. Well, see, that, that's uh, the interesting thing, Mike. Things have changed. I mean, back in, back in 2011, mm. right, I led the SNP to a majority government in a proportional parliament, yeah. which is quite a tricky thing, yeah. you know? And the, the SNP were nearly 50% in the polls. Support for independence was below 30%. Right. You know, so 10 years ago, SNP support very high, support for independence much lower. Right. But now, 10 years later, we've got the reverse. Right. The, the SNP support has slipped to somewhere in the 30s, whereas support for independence is right up there. Mm. It's right at a historically high level. And therefore, you should obviously change your tactics. Yes. You should change your appeal to people, particularly at a time when the, the SNP, some people would say justly, some people would say unjustly, but the SNP is suffering badly from the current trials and tribulations. Mm. So therefore, stress the independence argument and downplay the party politics okay. Well, so then how did you get people to vote for the SNP when they didn't necessarily want independence? How did you get that particular trick over the line? Right, because you, you went for good government, uh, efficient administration, <clears throat> doing sensible things, uh, saying to people, look, we can run the shop, we can run health and education, right. we, we'll run the economy as best we can properly because you're limited in your powers, but we'll, we'll do sensible things and we'll sweep away all the nonsense that the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats were doing. And then people, everybody looking at the administration, but back in the referendum of 2014, you know, people had many arguments, the unionist parties, but other people as well, for not voting for independence. Mm. I don't think one person in that entire referendum said... I'm voting against independence because you can't run the administration right. in, in Scotland. Nobody said that. Right. Now, of course, <coughs> the problems of the administration in Scotland are being used as an argument against Scottish independence. Right. 
And is it possible now that the reason why independence looks like a more likely scenario is just because of the unpopularity of the SNP? So they've kind of flipped. Well, I think I think there's a decoupling. You know, that's the technical phrase. If you had Sir John Curtis, you know, the doyen of uh, posters yes. sitting here instead of me, you'd probably think that would be a no bad idea. <laughs> but but it, No, he, he goes everywhere. <coughs> I mean, we prefer to have you to ourselves, Alex. Well, that's correct. He'd he be talking about the decoupling. Yeah. of the SNP from independent support. The independent supporters no longer say, I'll automatically vote SNP. Yeah. No, obviously, Alapa are hoping that some of them will start voting for, yes. for Alapa. The Green Party are no doubt hoping that some of them will vote Green. And the Labour Party are desperately hoping that they'll manage mm. to get people to forget and the what are they doing? <laughs> and what are they doing in Scotland uh, to kind of get people to come back to Labour? Because, I mean, I remember when I first worked up there, Labour pretty much had a lock. Mm. Uh, you know, Jack McConnell was the first minister. Uh, they'd already had t two other first ministers, I think, to, to my knowledge. Henry McLeish. Henry Donald McLeish, Gira. of course, and Donald Gira. Um, you know, Gordon Brown was making daily phone calls to McConnell, as I found out later on. <laughs> to tell uh, him what to, to do. tell him what to do and to <laughs> shout at him and threaten him with all manner of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because McConnell was basically a Blairite. So that was all going on. The west of Scotland was run by Labour. Mm. You know, the SNP were kind of coming up on the rails. But, but I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Labour ran everything. Well, your question was, what are they doing? And the answer is precious little. Right. I mean, the Labour Party, and I don't think this is peculiar to Scotland, mm. the Labour Party, Keir Starmer down here, the Labour Party in Scotland, they think all they have to do is not be the Tories yeah. in government in Westminster, not be the SNP and Greens right. in government in Scotland. And, you know, they might be right. My own view is, if you look at the great opposition leaders, Harold Wilson mm. way back in the 60s, Tony Blair, although I disliked him intensely mm. for the Iraq War and other things, but as an opposition leader, you know, they, these people didn't just sit back and wait for the government to fail. Right. They they had a bit of verve and panache. And he also about trans them. he transformed the Labour Party, even though most of the people in the Labour Party now hate the fact that he transformed it. Well, leave that to one side because people can you know do you have to be a right winger like Blair? You know, you have to be Tory Blair to mm. do that. I don't know, but what you do name, Hannah Wilson managed to you know, be a great opposition leader without uh, changing the nature of the Labour Party as a, as a radical force. Yeah. Now, uh, the question is, how do you do it? Well, you, 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 you look for principal ideals, you look for goals and ambition, you look for the, the phrase that encapsulates the future, the white-hot heat of the yeah. technological revolution. Yeah. What was the Tony Blair's one? Cool Britannia. That wasn't yeah. nearly as good, incidentally. Well, my favourite Tony Blair quote is the one when he came out uh, on, the, on the day of the Good Friday Agreement and said, you know, this is not a day for cliches, but I feel the hand, the hand of history of on my shoulder. And I went, brilliant. Yeah, you would remember <laughs> that one. I, I'm sure that Tony Blair's been trying to forget that one yes. desperately. But so, the uh, People's uh, Princess you, was the, the answer to your question, right? The answer to your question mm. is the Labour Party, in my estimation, are doing not very much right. to deserve people going back to them. And therefore, there is hopefully the opportunity for other parties to, to make their mark. Yeah. But the way to... For the S any SNP MP listening, watching this uh, broadcast, of which I have to say there'll be precious few because they'll all be hard at work in the of House course. of Commons or wherever they are It's, it's now. Friday, mind you. They'll all be no, no, they'll all work. be hard at work in their constituency surgeries. But if they happen to watch it and catch up, right, then it really would be for self-preservation reasons, if you're an SNP MP, to actually back the idea of having a single independence candidate in each constituency. That way... You can save your job, and, and hey-ho, you might even advance the cause of independence. But hey, listen, now you're expecting a lot there. I mean, you're expecting all sorts of, you know, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings between politicians. Won't they all say, well, that's all fine as long as I'm the candidate? Well, the, the vast majority of these candidates would be SNP MPs. Mm. Uh, they'd have, you know, the vast majority would be SNP, Scotland United for Independence. You'd have a smattering of Alapa ones, a smattering of Green ones. 
if you were really sensible, you'd have some charismatic independents who believe in independence, yes. uh, and then you'd get, you know, people would really, that would really catch on, and it would be something new in politics, it'd be something different, and that, crucially, you would detach yourself from the you know, fairly substantial record of mistakes of the SNP administration in Edinburgh at the present mm. moment. Uh, and you'd be talking about the principle of Scottish independence, which actually, of course, is the reason for the foundation of the Scottish National Party. Well, indeed. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Hamza Youssef uh, has apparently announced that he wants to impose a tourist tax uh, on Scotland and its accommodation of English people, by and large, and anybody else, presumably. Um, so this means if I go to Scotland, they're going to start taxing me more. Well, there's four million anybody else's and still. There's quite a few of them, international tourists in Scotland. Yeah. Uh, six billion uh, from the rest of the UK, but about four million elsewhere. You know, this is not as daft an idea as some of the other things the Scottish Parliament mm. is doing at the present moment. It's not as daft as the bottle tax, for no, example, or, or the fishing ban. These are really daft ideas, or mm. uh, this, you know, uh, self-identification uh, concept. That is ridiculous. These are daft ideas. Uh, this one is not a daft idea, and, and the reason for it, in principle, is this. That Scotland has five and a half million people. That's quite a narrow tax base. But there are 10 million visitors mm. to Scotland from England, from overseas, Americas, yeah. etc. That's a much bigger tax base. And if you did things like saying that money will be hypothecated, is the fancy term, yes. it will be devoted to improving facilities, it's not a daft idea. The trouble, of course... But how would you impose it, though? Is it a hotel tax? What is it? No, I mean, I think the idea, that's still being consulted on it, is to delegate it to local authorities, right? That's the first bad idea. Well, got. you know, you might say they'll use it to do other things, you know, yeah. fill their black holes. Well, they often fill their black holes with all sorts of stuff. But but they, to delegate it to local authorities and probably to do it as an overnight levy. Now, of course, you can call it what you like. It's a bit like calling the poll tax community charge. It'll yeah. end up being called the tourist tax. Yeah. And it is also true as you well remember, because I think it was during the time of your first broadcast mm. when they introduced income tax in the Napoleonic Wars. Yes, William very Pitt, true. William Pitt the Younger said it was a temporary tax to pay back the debt for fighting the French, yeah. and it's still with us. Well, it's a bit like the fourth road charge, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> well, I by the time they, they actually stopped asking people to pay for the fourth road bridge, it was falling apart. Yeah, that's why I abolished it. <laughs> <laughs> there you <laughs> go. Take it off. Yeah, I remember that day. <laughs> One of the reasons why that SNP administration was quite popular. Yeah, do you know, I haven't been up there since they opened the third bridge. It looks yeah, pretty I, impressive. I, 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 well, that was... Because you know, I used to live, That was you know, kind of mine as well. In, in Lithgow, uh, yeah. your hometown. Mm -hmm. um, how is that's Lithgow? Right. It's, it's going great. It's, it's, it's actually... Compared to other places, you've got a flourishing high street, which you love to see. Yeah. Because you know, there's nothing more depressing than boarded up high streets. No, exactly. Lithgow is quite a flourishing high street. No, it's so a good part. It's a great place to stay. It's a great part of the world. And now so, you, so, don't, you don't get taxed for going to Fife anymore, which is great. No, but you just get taxed for leaving it. Um, what about, um, so how would you impose it? Because, I mean, I've, I've actually said before in the past, funnily enough, that it would be quite good to put a hotel tax on, uh, on London because it would create well, a bit of income for, for, the, for the city itself. It's not, I mean, look, the, the, here's a, an obvious place where you might say this would work. Every year we'll have a story saying that Sky, the island of Sky, yeah. is full up, mm. right? You can't get a, a place to stay in Sky for love nor money. Right. Uh, now, Sky's a big island. It's not really full up. You know, there's a whole bit in the north. There's of just Sky. loads of space there as well. Yeah, that's correct. So if you had more facilities in mm. Sky... Uh, then it wouldn't be, quote, full up. Right. And you can see, if you were actually devoting the income to improving the 
tourist offering from Sky because it is a gorgeously it is beautiful, beautiful place. I went to I went to stay then you can see once. the logic of this, and you do it as an overnight stay tax. Yes, uh, or you could you could tax people as they go into the country, um, which mm-hmm. would be more difficult and probably a bit more. Yeah, that's called the Mike Graham tax. Yeah, I mean, if you, you have to charge pay... you every time you come to Scotland, we'll yes. charge you. Yeah, I mean, no matter whether you come on a plane, you have to pay, uh, or, the, or you could just add a five percent tax, presumably on flights yeah. or something like that, couldn't you? Yeah, well, you could see you could put that you could put a toll on the bridges, but I took the toll off the bridges, so we can't do that. If I mean, obviously, if it does go ahead, I would expect to get a dispensation. I would expect to get at least a cut rate tax, if not no tax at all. Well, a uh, diplomatic uh, community uh, for the independent republic. If Hamza Yusuf's worst nightmares were ever fulfilled, and I came back as first minister, I assure you, I'll give a the Mike Graham exemption. Brilliant. That everybody else will pay the tourist levy, yeah. with the sole exception of Mike Graham because of his uh, his pro-Scotland broadcast. Excellent. Well played. Now, just before we take a little break, we've got some breaking news here, which will be bad news for Hamza Yusuf. British Cycling is about to ban transgender women from competing in a female category. So finally, uh, athletics is catching up with the common sense version of events from this very show. British Cycling will ban it uh, from an, following a nine-month review and consultation. Uh, they said this was predicated on fairness because such athletes will compete in an open category with men. The female category will be, and this is how you have to say these things now, for those whose sex was assigned female at birth, mm-hmm. i.e. women. Um, we'll be back with more from Alex Up. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV with Alex Salmon, the leader of the Alipa Party. There you go. Uh, now, well done, former mate. First Minister of Scotland, of course, as well. Possible future First Minister of Scotland. Might as well start saying it because, you know, I can't see Hamza Yusuf lasting very long. Well, well you keep saying it and then I'll sound modest. <laughs> Absolutely right. Uh, now, just before the news, uh, uh, just before the break there, we, we, we told you that the British Cycling is now going to ban transgender women. This is still a massive issue for politicians. You know, it was only yesterday, I think, uh, that Ed Davey was caught mm. out being asked the question, you know, can a woman have a penis? Mm. Which to most people is not a difficult question to answer, but to him, it was very difficult. And he hummed and hard and went around the houses and eventually said, it's quite clear that some women have a penis. Yeah. This is all going to change, of course, because I mean, for, there's probably people like Ed Davey and Keir Starmer, etc. They keep trying to remember what is the latest politically correct thing to say. Right. You know, are they going to offend, you know, group within their party and all the rest of it? So they can't bring themselves to say what is absolutely obvious to anybody who announced a sense that uh, a woman is an adult human female. Right. And so they, that saves me having to ask you right. what a woman is. So, You've so, just said it. So if they, if they can get that into their heads. Now, like many people who take that view, I've got absolutely nothing against transgender people. Uh, people go through the, uh, want to transition and they go through the procedures, fine. It might even be made to make easier for people to do that. I can see the logic in that. But, the self-identification mm. argument is nonsense. Yeah. You, you can't. You can't just say, "Well, you can be whatever you want to yeah. be." You, you, if you want to change your your, your your gender, then you should go through a, yeah. a, a procedure to, to to do it, and and nobody should discriminate against you in any shape or form. Of course not, but but you can't just say, "Well, I'll just self-identify." As a please, you can't, yeah, you can't you just suddenly infringe. turn up one day and say, I've got a dress on and now I'm a woman. Well, because you infringe on other people's yeah. rights and, in particular, the protected rights of, of right. women. And, and that is the difficulty. And for the life of me, I don't understand why people like uh, Ed Davey or Keir Starmer or others, I mean, I mean, it's not really a political party thing, mm. uh, they uh, you know, can't just sort of say, well, you know, that's my view. <clears throat> I don't want to discriminate against people, but on the other hand, I, I don't want to kind of 
deny science. Yeah. But Nicola Sturgeon found herself in a cul-de-sac of madness when she decided to, to have this Gender Self-Identification Act put through Parliament in Scotland because when she finally had to watch what the, what the, um, the, 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 the end result of that was, a man ended up going to a women's prison for raping women. And you go, well, that makes no sense at all. And you could see it in her eyes as she was trying to explain to the interview, uh, uh, the interviewer at the time, as she was saying, well, in mm. some circumstances, um, um, trans women are not women. And that yeah. was it. It all uh, fell uh, apart. And, and that's what happens, you see, when, when the logic comes up against hard cases. Mm. Uh, and you're quite right about that. And, I mean, and that interview was memorable because, you know, Nicola was normally a, a very fluent uh, politician, was a... You know, somebody who wasn't lost for words, yeah. and all of a sudden she comes, you know, hard up against reality, and her political line that she was pursuing came up against a, a case, an obvious case, mm. where what was happening wasn't right, sensible, rational, and couldn't be rationally yeah. explained. And as I say, the wheels literally <clears throat> came off the motorhome at that very moment. And that was the end of her. Let's talk about her immigration because obviously it's been a big subject for us for the last two days here uh, on Talk TV. Our listeners and viewers are absolutely incensed that the numbers of people coming are as high as they are. Forget about the rescue of, uh, of some uh, illegal migrants by uh, the British Border Force because they wanted to be rescued by British Border Force. But of the people coming in, 1.2 million people coming in to study and to work and bring members of their families with them. It's a ridiculous number, but it, does it affect Scotland in the same way? Well, no, it doesn't. Uh, and, and people can quite rightly say I, I take a, a different view on immigration to what I suspect is the majority opinion, basically because of you know the experience in Scotland. Our, our key problem is not immigration, it's right. emigration. Right. And losing talented people, you know, we are, we are still exporting, and particularly when we had some good years up until last five years perhaps, where the, a trend has re-established itself is we're losing more talented people than we're gaining. Right. Uh, and therefore, you know, the Scottish population, if you compare it with uh, other countries around Europe even, uh, and not because of declining birth rate, but just basically because of emigration, yeah. uh, you know, has has not increased to anything like the rate of other countries. I mean, you know, back they had treated the Union, I think... Uh, in 1707, England's population was about three times the size of Scotland. Now it's right. 12 times yes. the size of Scotland. So it, 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 we don't have the same view in it. I mean, you know, for example, a great immigration policy for Scotland would be to increase the number of overseas students yeah. and allow these international students who want to come to Scotland to work in Scotland over a period of time yeah. before they returned or even stay in Scotland. Great, you know, welcome, yes. welcome. What used to but be where would you put them all, though? Because the problem that England has got, uh, or that uh, certainly it would appear that England has got, uh, is that, you know, there is a big strain oh. on housing here. Oh, there oh. is a big strain on, on uh, services like the NHS, getting a doctor, all of that, getting put, putting kids into schools. You know, there are parts of Britain uh, in right. England which okay. are pretty full. Yeah, and there are parts which are not, incidentally. Mm. Uh, I mean, there are still areas of England which have quite sparse population, but there are many, many many areas of Scotland. I mean, yeah. You know, there are areas of Scotland who have less population now than they had at the Highland Clearances. Yes. And the, the well, point the being the Highland Clearances. The size of some of those uh, sort of Highland constituencies in terms of the acreage uh, yes. is massive, isn't it? So, look, the, the Scotland is not full up. Uh, we need more people's skills. And the key thing to this is if you have a vibrant national culture, and Scotland has a vibrant mm. national culture, so has England, yes. then you shouldn't be worried uh, about people 
adding diversity to, to, to that culture. But that's an interesting point, actually, because Scotland's national culture is far more uh, visible, if you like, than English national culture. Because English national culture suffers from, you know, the yoke of the left, which basically makes you a racist if you want to celebrate English national culture. And is that all the fault of the the left? Uh, maybe, I think it is. Well, maybe, maybe the people on the right should spend more time understanding English culture. I mean, you know, I used to look at the serried ranks of aristocratic posh Tory MPs mm. and, and think to myself, I've probably forgotten more about English history than these people have ever learned. Mm. You know, I don't know what they were doing at Eton. They must have been in the playing fields instead of the classroom. Possibly so. I mean, the point is, if you go to Eton, you know you don't have to do anything. You just have to say you went there and then everything goes uh, well when you come out. Uh, as a former Prime Minister, many former <laughs> yes. Prime Ministers, but one in particular exemplifies. Yes, indeed. But the thing is, though, there is a difference between Welsh national sort of pride, Scottish national pride, even Irish national pride in the north of Ireland, um, and English national pride. There's a very culturally you well, must, must recognise. I'm, I'm in favour of a revitalisation of genuine uh, Englishness and and one that shouldn't have a chip on its shoulder because yeah. it should have the ability. Now, there's a question about services, and quite rightly, I mean, you can see that you know towns and villages, perhaps in the south of England, feel the services. Uh, are, are under pressure, yeah. but as a country as a whole, you tend to benefit from uh, from migration. You really do because the, well, the, I think that's a doesn't but, that depend on the number though? Well, no, I, I think it depends on the the people have this term, you know, economic migrant. Mm. You know, it's become a kind of dirty word. It's become a term that people don't like. You know, it's it's all right, people refugees, but we don't like economic mm. migrants. You know, Scottish economic migrants made Australia. New Zealand, mm. Canada, and a fair bit of America. Yeah, they did. No, incidentally, the, and they the, Amer- still, the America bit, you know, people might hold us responsible for rather than congratulate well, us. Well, possibly but, so. But nonetheless. But, but equally, you can't deny that if you in, in, uh, in move into a place with, um, I don't know, if you call the net number from 2022 600,000 roughly, the size of Glasgow, if you were to put all those people into a country which is already under strain, and even in Scotland, where the NHS waiting lists are not exactly no, good, but, but that's um, you know, where, where there are few, where there are few school places, where there are fewer houses for people to go and live in, right. you know, how do you solve that? All right, okay. Well, uh, well, f- well, firstly, you know, one of the difficulties, only one of the difficulties in the NHS at the present moment is we've lost a lot of people who yeah. were valuable staff right. in that uh, national health service. But listen, if you have people who are coming to, to work, to, to earn a living, to contribute to society, mm. then their taxation base and the increase of it, then you devote that to having decent public services. You know, you have a society which is growing. If they're paying and, tax, but a lot of these people coming in are, are in low-income well, jobs. I, 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 I promise you that economic migrants, by and large, and there are always exceptions to the rule, you know that and mm. I know that, Mike, Economic migrants, by and large, are hard-working folk. They are, the, but the, not always high-earning folks. So they're not paying a lot of tax. Well, because they, we come back to the the, the, the theory of the the, the the home secretary. She thinks that uh, you know radio and television announcers should be retrained as berry pickers. Yes. Well, you know, I picked plenty of berries in my time. So did I. Um, but I'm not doing it anymore. But listen, <laughs> I, I, I know there's different perspectives in this, but you know, maybe one of the problems is that. Successive governments have lied to the population. Yes, I think uh, that's an issue. Uh, and maybe they should start telling people the yeah. truth. Because that might help. I think the Tories at the moment continually coming out with statements as if they've only just discovered something, having mm. been in charge for 13 years, is not going to wash anymore. No, it's not. It really isn't. 
We've come to the end of our time, I'm afraid, but it's been a delight to see you. Okay, can I? Any can, plans for the weekend? Well, great plans. I, I'm going to watch a grey squirrel in my garden oh, eat, yes. eat a piece of spaghetti. <laughs> Uh, which, incidentally, I, I saw in a programme which will be nameless yes. in BBC television, one, one of these very, very hip programmes. Biased Broadcasting Corporation. I used to call it the British Brainwashing Corporation, but that's another story. But anyway, they, they actually showed a clip from your show. They did. Uh, Not for the first time. They've uh, shown my show quite a lot, and they obviously watch it avidly. And they were quite snooty about it. They were. But, but it was actually the funniest thing on their show. It was. <laughs> it was. And just to show how unbiased they are, uh, guess who they've got on this weekend? You. Carol Vorderman. <laughs> Not me. I don't think I'll ever be on it. But if they really want to put me on it, they can have me. But I'm going to have to start charging them for my clips soon because that's about the third time they've done it. But listen, next time can you get a red squirrel? That really <laughs> would be environmental. Well, that would be good. But I haven't seen one of those in Sussex for a while. Yeah, um, Come listen, to Scotland, Mike, and don't pay the tax. I'll, yeah, I'll do that. Alex, good to see you. Thank you Great very pleasure, much indeed. Mike. Alex Salmon, former First Minister of Scotland, possible future uh, First Minister of Scotland, and of course, leader of the Alipa Party, which I'm just going to keep calling it. Uh, this is Talk TV. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Much to do, uh, much to say, and uh, we've got until one o'clock to do it. Don't forget, of course, uh, coming up tonight, uh, another great festival of fun. Uh, Plank of the Week begins at 7pm, followed by Nadine Dorries uh, on Friday night. Let's have a look at what is in store for you. I am outraged by the Theatre Royal in Stratford for having a blackout evening, Mm. which, as far as I can see, is the most racist and divisive thing that we can do in a society where we're trying to make everyone, including black people, equal and welcome and inclusive. Diversity and inclusion, isn't it? Absolutely. And this is more like apartheid. One way. I tried to imagine if the Royal Opera House sent me an email saying that we're showing Aida next week and I'm afraid only white people can come, (laughs) how well that would have gone down. And I have a feeling... <laughs> but I have a feeling that it wouldn't have gone down so well. No. This is outrageous. It is ridiculous. And I'm going to go. But why are they doing are you, it? Though? Yes. You've got a ticket. I have. She's got a ticket. Um, Russell Quirk's got a load of tickets, but that's another story altogether. Um, 0344 499 1000 is the number. I would move to Scotland tomorrow, says Sam in Somerset. The country is absolutely beautiful. I walked through my local town this morning and I felt like a foreigner. At least in Scotland, I would be surrounded by like-minded people with the same values and beliefs. Well, don't be too sure about that. Uh, There are plenty of parts of Scotland, if you go and you're English, uh, they're not that keen to see you. But that's another story. You see, for me, it's all about being British. And you can be Scottish if you want, you can be English if you want, but in the end, you're British. And there's plenty of people in Scotland who don't like the sound of that. But we'll develop that one a little bit more coming up. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's talk to Gavin Mortimer, writer at The Spectator, of course, our man uh, on the other side of the channel. Uh, Gavin, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Amazing uh, story this morning on the front page of The Sun and elsewhere about the uh, the French. In fact, we might even play it again. Should we play the uh, the clip again of the French um, uh, Navy's conversation with the border force? Because um, basically they went to rescue a boat full of 50 migrants um, and, and uh, they were told, much to their surprise, we don't want to be rescued by you. We want to be rescued uh, by the British border force. I mean, it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Yeah, it's a ferry service and the migrants know full well that the British are weak. And so we're just exploiting that and uh, the, we let them get away with it. And the French are quite happy to shrug their shoulders. They've got enough problems down on the Italian border. Um, their uh, Macron's increasingly coming under pressure from opposition MPs. There's a demand for a referendum to put migration to a, to a vote. 
Uh, overwhelmingly, people uh, want it brought under control. At the moment, it's as out of control as it is in the UK. Yeah, it really is. And when you say the Italian borders, you mean down on sort of south of France, Ventimiglia? Yeah, right? that, that's right. So, so we've got record numbers. About fifty thousand have come over so far from North Africa to Italy. They don't want to stay in Italy. Malo Giorgio Maloney, Italian MP, is making it much harder for them to stay in Italy. Uh, so they migrate north. Uh, and many of them, of course, come from French-speaking African countries. Those that don't, don't come from English-speaking African countries. So it's either Paris or London mm. they want to get to. Right. And there's no real border point there at all, is there? Last time I was there, you could literally just move from, from France to Italy at will. Yeah, absolutely. And you can come through the Alps, Mike. And uh, you know, quite a few migrants have lost their lives in the, uh, in the winter coming over the Alps. Now, obviously, the weather's much better. Uh, incidentally, Mike, the weather really has turned. It's been a pretty chilly um, uh, five months in, yeah. in France, but this uh, today it's beautiful and it's it's said to be uh, to stay like that for the next uh, two or three weeks. So expect the, the numbers to surge across the Mediterranean, and uh, and we're just going to come across the Alps, come across any anywhere they want. As you said, it's a pretty porous border, the French uh, French Italian border. Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, it's going to get worse. And we're finding, of course, that the reason a lot, of, an awful lot of people want to come to this country is because, as you say, they don't get a very uh, hospitable welcome in Italy now. Uh, they don't get much of a hospitable welcome in France. And the French, despite taking, you know, tens of millions of pounds, maybe hundreds of millions of pounds off us to supposedly stop the boats from leaving, clearly are not ever going to do that. No, they're not. And uh, one thing that's been announced this week, Mike, uh, I wrote a piece about it for The Spectator, is that um, the government has uh, put into... Um, uh, it implemented a, uh, a plan to move the migrants in Paris out of the city into the countryside because yeah. you've got the Rugby World Cup coming up in September, the Olympics next year. Um, so they're going to bust them out. This has uh, aroused a lot of opposition in in the, the countryside. There was an attack um, earlier this year in uh, Western France against the mayor's house who was in favour of relocating a migrant's uh, centre next to a primary school um, and so what will happen is the, the migrants are aware of this and this will um, encourage them even more to look to come over the channel into the uh, UK. So how are they housing them if they're moving them to the country? What's the plan? Are they going to put them in some kind of makeshift camp or something? Yeah, absolutely Mike. I mean, this is unfair. There was a mayor in um, uh, a town called Brood in Brittany, uh, a left-wing mayor who was uh, bitterly opposed to this. Um, both for the people of his town, but also for the migrants. Mm. As he said, they've got no choice about this. They're just going to be swept up, put on a bus, taken to, to Brittany. And there was a TV report a couple of days ago, and it showed the site. And it's in an old railway goods yard right next to the line. Mm. They want to live there. And, and this is why it's just such an absurd situation that we get, uh, particularly these people, the pro-migrant lobby, whether it's the Archbishop of Canterbury, Gary Lineker, Labour MPs who, who uh, are very much in favour of, of, uh, of, of um, mass immigration yeah. because it's a miserable existence for the migrants once they get here. They're sold this dream of, of getting uh, easy work, good money in Paris or London, Leeds, Birmingham. But the reality is they're put up, they've got to live under a flyover in Paris or um, in some other godforsaken place. And this is why it needs to be sorted out, Mike. Yeah. Um, well, it, I mean, we are now at boiling point, I think. I don't think there's any other way of describing it. The way that parts of England uh, are being taken over by uh, migrants in hotels, the way that people can, are having their weddings cancelled, the way that, you know, people are still arriving. Uh, we've got that clip now from the, uh, the French Navy. Let's have a listen. We 
we ask to the dinghy uh, if uh, they need uh, assistance. Uh, they say uh, to me no. Uh, they want uh, they want uh, UK assistance. Uh, waiting for UK assistance. Uh, we are in present now, happy to uh, effect our rescue. People quite incredulous this morning um, at the fact that not only did the French communicate uh, the migrants' wishes to uh, the border force in Britain, but that the British border force boat then went quite some distance to get to French waters to pick these people up. I mean, it's extraordinary. And if you look at that clip, Mike, I didn't see one woman, no. one child, one old man. It's just young, strapping men, and they are economic migrants. Now, I was interested to hear your previous guest, Mr. Salmon. Yeah. Uh, extolling the virtues of economic migrants and what they did, British mi economic migrants, to the uh, to the USA and Australia and how wonderful that was. Really? Was it good for the Aborigines? Was it good for the Native Americans? I think they might disagree on yes. what happened there. Yes, that's and, a good um, point. Well, also, other people have said to me since he, since he made that statement, Yes, but they were also pioneers. They were people who were going to these countries um, to basically kind of make something out of that, not that country, make something of themselves. And, and yes, while you're right to say that the, the, the indigenous populations didn't exactly benefit from that, um, they were literally building a country. These people are yeah. not building a country. They're coming here to take advantage of what the country has. Absolutely. And, and also, when, when Mr Salmon goes on about there's plenty of space in Scotland and England. I can guarantee you, Mike, because we see this in France, that the, the migrants, as I've just said, they don't want to be put out to the back of beyond in, in Brittany or uh, in um, uh, some, you know, southern France. Mm. They want to be in Paris. Yeah. They've often got links in Paris. That's where the work is. For, you don't get many Deliveroo's or, or other uh, uh, these takeaway food businesses in the middle of Bartmore or mm. wherever it is. So it's no good saying, oh, there's plenty of space because the locals don't want it and the migrants don't yeah. want it. Just another example of a jumbled, lazy thinking that the pro-migrant lobby yeah. spouse. Well, we had a, a case here where they arrested about 20 of these uh, scooter riders in Brighton and they were all illegal migrants. They'd all come here on boats and they were now working, uh, delivering food to people. You know, yeah. and, it's, and some, there will be some people who say, well, isn't that great? They're making a life for themselves. Well, no, they're not. They're probably not paying any tax. They're not supposed to be here. Nobody knows where they're living. Nobody knows what they've done in the past. You don't have a clue whether the bloke bringing you a pizza uh, has been some kind of, you know, massive major criminal. You know, he wants no. to burst into your house and, and steal him. You just don't know. Um, let me just uh, touch on this before we go. Is a referendum the answer to solving the migrant crisis in France? Your piece in The Spectator. Uh, tell us what a referendum would be about. Yeah, it would be really as um, stopping uh, or certainly drastically reducing um, immigration into France, having quotas um, and, and also making anyone who wishes to apply for asylum, last year there were record numbers, 130,000 in France, having to do it before they actually get into France. Yeah. So um, at the border or at the um, the French embassy in the respective country. Mm. And this is a proposition put forward by the centre-right uh, Republicans, the equivalent of a Tory party. Uh, and there was a poll yesterday, Mike, 79% of people, French people canvassed, are in favour of a referendum. Now, it used to be in the old days that referendums were quite popular in France. There yeah. were 10, I think, in the first 40 years of the Fifth Republic. It was uh, Charles de Gaulle who introduced it. And then in 2005, they had the notorious referendum on the EU constitution. Mm. And people voted no. 
Uh, it was ignored by the French political class who just went ahead and, and uh, ratified the constitution. But ever since then, presidents have shied away from asking the people. But this is such a divisive issue, as you've said, Mike. But I think the time has come that it needs to be put to the people, not just in France, in the UK. Don't forget, we've had three referendums in the last 12 years, including one about alternative voting. So if we can have one about alternative voting, a relatively minor issue, we need to have one about immigration because this is the most contentious issue for the majority of the country. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Gavin, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Gavin Mortimer there from The Spectator over in France saying that the French are getting sick to the back teeth uh, of what is going on uh, with their migrant problem. And so there's no way that they are going to be in any way assisting us to stop people leaving France to come to Britain. Why would they? They're happy for them to go. They don't want them either. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up, Simon Cole is going to join us. British Airways has had more problems uh, cancelling flights. They had another glitch. Uh, this is the biggest holiday weekend, apparently, uh, since before COVID. Loads of people are going to be going away. We'll get from Simon what the hotspots are, where you should be careful uh, about going, and where you should be very careful about the method of travel. Are the roads going to be absolutely chock-a-block? Probably. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham. The weekend starts here, basically. We can now say, because it's after midday, uh, that we are into the weekend. And it's yet another bank holiday weekend, I have to say. Of course, as you would expect, I'll be here on Monday, as per usual, uh, with you from 10 o'clock. Uh, and also I'll be on Jeremy Carl's show as well. Tonight from 7, Plank of the Week is on. Uh, one of the most popular shows uh, ever in the history of television. Uh, lots of people are watching it now. Lots of people are telling their friends about it. You want to watch it tonight as well. We've got Jeremy Carl on it. We've got Dr. Renee Hunderkamp. We've got uh, Esther Cracker and we've got David Bull as well. Uh, it is a great thing of great beauty. Kevin O'Sullivan joins us a little bit later on. We're going to be asking him about those shocking images from uh, Pink Floyd's Roger Waters. He decided to go on stage in Berlin dressed as a Nazi. Huh? I mean, what's wrong with him? Um, also, we'll be talking uh, to Kevin about uh, Alison Hammond's four-bedroom home that she's put up for sale because apparently it's got a hot tub in it. And I'm going to suggest to you that anybody who's got a hot tub uh, should be treated with some level of suspicion. And I know that James Wells got a hot tub, and that's one of the reasons I'm saying it. Uh, first up, though, uh, let's talk to Molly Kingsley, who's from Us For Them, of course, founder of it, uh, because a couple of stories have reached us today that we needed to seek her guidance on. The first being uh, the World Health Organization trying to gain powers to impose a lockdown if they wanted to, if there was ever another pandemic on this great country of ours. Let's find out what that's all about. Molly, very good morning. Oh, good afternoon to you, I should say. Good afternoon. Nice to see you. Um, extraordinary story, this. It's in the Telegraph today. Conservative MPs have written to ministers to warn of an ambition evident for the WHO to transition from an advisory organisation to a controlling international authority. I mean, what is going on? Yeah, I mean, it is extraordinary. And the most extraordinary thing about it is that actually, you know, the mainstream media, at least, apart from, you know, people like yourselves, Mike, are really quite late to the party mm. on this. So this this has been no secret. This has been in the works for months. The draft agreements are there. They're there for everyone to read. Um, you know, we prepared a briefing now. I mean, it must be almost three or four months ago on this, as did other groups. And really, everyone's been quite asleep, I think. So it's really great to see it get this coverage. It's also great, actually, to see the government response to it. So, you know, the government have come back and said, well, actually, we're quite worried, too. And mm. they're right to be, because this is a really, really unprecedented land grab by the WHO. Mm. Yes. Um, and 
And yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I mean, they've been talking lately as well about pandemics and how I think it was Dr. Tedros the other day who was saying, you know, we must be prepared for another one because there will be another one. And you're going, well, hang on a minute. You know, where are you getting that from? You're just making that up. You're just saying that there will be another one and therefore we must be prepared for it. Well, what do you even mean by that? Yeah, and I think there's a few things to unpick here, Mike. So, I mean, I think, first of all, because, you know, I'm very conscious that some of your viewers may not be kind of fully all over the detail of the proposals. What what the proposals do is they change what is currently, um, you know, guidance that the WHO mm. gives, binding recommendations. And that includes binding recommendations over things like lockdown, you know, mandatory vaccination, quarantine, isolation, restrictions on travel, all that kind of thing. So according to the, agree the agreements as they're now proposed, the WO would get the power to lock national citizens in their homes to, you know, force vaccinate all of us, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing, as you say, Mike, is this focus on pandemics. So it wouldn't even be enough, uh, you'd be, it wouldn't even be necessary for there to be an actual pandemic for the WHO to exercise right. these powers, it would be enough that there was a threat of a pandemic. So these are vast, vast discretionary powers. Right. I think just stepping back and thinking, you know, a bit more holistically, yeah, of course, you know, pandemics are a real health threat, but there are many, many other arguably more pressing health threats that actually we ought to be concerned about you know it's health isn't just about pandemic prevention yeah. and we saw that I mean, we've seen that haven't we with the results of lockdown we got so focused on one aspect of health we let everything else go and you know just look at the kind of cancer backlogs mm. we have so i think the second thing is this this idea of health is far far wider than that and i think the third thing is just you know you have to ask who is the who to be granting yeah. themselves powers so you know you have an idea that because it's a un body it's it's you know this democratic institution that lots of member states contribute funding to well actually the truth is very far from that so 80 percent of the who's funding comes from private sources yeah. and when those investors fund into the who they effectively get to dictate the terms of their investment mm. So, you know, it, it, it's got profit driven organizations sitting behind it. And I think for all these reasons, the thought that we grant it these vast powers is just yeah. insane. Well, I'm a bit uncomfortable, to be honest, with the phrase member states of the WHO. I mean, I don't, I don't remember ever voting to be a member state of WHO. You know, you could be a member state of the European Union. Fine. Or you could not be if you decide you don't want to be. But nobody asked me if I would wanted Britain to be a member state of this organization, which, by the way, pretty much got everything wrong during the COVID uh, discovery, particularly at the beginning, where they first of all told us that uh, they'd been to China um, and they weren't worried about COVID because it clearly wasn't something that would jump species because they'd found it in some animals. And they said, our oh, humans won't get that. And then they said, um, wear masks, don't wear masks, you know, um, travel, don't travel. They said, oh, don't worry, it's all too late now. Everybody's already been to all the places they're going to go. And then suddenly they started banning everyone from traveling. You know, I don't trust the WHO. I don't think they know what they're doing. I think that's a very fair point. And I think, you know, they also denied the role of natural immunity. They yeah. said it didn't have a role in preventing infection. Well, we know that was rubbish. And and I think, you know, it's this conflict, isn't it? Like we all want to, well, many of us want to feel safe. And I guess we look to an organisation that, you know, calls itself the World Health Organisation. And maybe there's an expectation expectation it can help that. But I agree. I think looking at the track record of the pandemic, the thought that we would be trusting that organisation is guided. Yeah. So we should be responsible as individuals.
Yes. I don't think there's any doubt that most people in this country, even those, either, even those who were quite pro-lockdown and who were quite pro-vaccine uh, and quite pro-all sorts of things that were taken as precautions, I think would say now a lot of it appears not to have really done any good and perhaps if it ever does happen again, we just shouldn't do it. I, well, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, certainly you would want there to be proper evaluation of risk against benefit, and we know that didn't happen right. um, during the last set of lockdowns or the other you know, interventions. So, no, I think I think a different strategy is called for, whereas actually what the WHO are proposing would be to hardwire into domestic law, you know, more of the same. Mm. Like nothing could be further from what we want or need as a nation. Yeah. Well, at least it looks as though the uh, the, the MPs and, and, the, and the government indeed are going to not allow this to happen. They're going to fight back. But we should keep an eye on it, shouldn't we? We should certainly keep an eye on it. I think uh, we'll have a call to action on our website. I know other groups are doing the same. Just, you know, the letters to the minister, the templates up there, just holding them to account. Yeah. We're just going to try and fix our signal with you, Molly, because it's not uh, coming through as clearly as we would like it to. So apologies to anybody uh, who hasn't heard everything that Molly's been saying. We'll come back to her. Uh, she is the founder for us for them. We've got things to talk about, including, of course, the latest uh, news story that we broke a little bit earlier in the last hour, uh, that British cycling uh, is no longer going to allow transgender women uh, to cycle in female-only races. There will be an open category for them. Uh, we'll be, talk be talking to Molly about that, but also about the idea uh, that in school, teachers must tell parents about transgender pupils which at the moment they're not doing this is talk tv the home of common sense talk radio and talk tv Welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Don't uh, miss Virgin uh, next week because Nick Grimshaw is going to make his return to radio. He's sitting in for Chris Evans uh, over on Virgin Radio. You can listen on DAB on your smart speaker uh, or download the Virgin Radio app. And also, uh, while you're at it, subscribe to the podcast of the Independent Republican Mike Graham because you can get that uh, from wherever you get your podcast. You can download it. We do uh, two Big hits as well during the week, not just the podcast of the show, but half an hour with uh, Peter Hitchens and another half an hour with Rod Little. Uh, we just hit nine million downloads on that. So um, it's a very popular one. Uh, get on it, uh, join the club and uh, share it with all your mates. Let's talk though to Molly Kingsley. We were talking to her just before about the World Health Organization and uh, the ridiculous sort of land grab that they've been trying to make uh, about possible new pandemics and what they would want to uh, tell us to do. Um, Molly, can we move on to um, cycling? I mean, I don't know whether I know you do a bit of cycling, which is which I'll let you off for on this occasion, although there is uh, they're shutting down most of London coming up this weekend for Ride London. But British Cycling has finally made a decent decision. They've actually said transgender women can no longer race uh, with uh, with women uh, in the women's cycling events. They'll have their own open um, uh, area where they can go and race against other men, which seems normal to me. Seems like finally athletics is catching up with reality. I think that's exactly right. I mean, you know, again, this is another one of these things. How did it get this far? Right. Um, and I think when these, you know, when issues about transgender athletes competing in female events kind of broke the surface of last year, I think, wasn't it? I think many of us thought, well, why, why don't the women boycott these yeah. events? I think collectively, actually, women have more power than they realise here mm. because, you know, it, it, it's just a situation that shouldn't have been allowed to happen. It's so demoralizing for women and it's so destructive actually to women's sport. It's so demoralizing to young girls yeah. actually as well. And you know, it's something I feel very passionately about with two very sporty little girls. Yeah. 
um, that actually preserving their sense of pride and their ability to compete against other athletes who are their equal is really, really important. So I think this is long overdue. And you just have to ask, you know, where where have all these governing bodies in cycling and athletics and rowing, you know, what have they been doing for the last few years to let it get this far? Well, they all seem to be sort of like rabbits caught in the headlights, don't they? They're so worried about offending people. We had Alex Salmond in earlier on who was saying, you know, these MPs like Ed Davey and, and Keir Starmer who can't identify what a woman is and, and think that some women can have a penis. And you're kind of going, what is wrong with you? Why can't you just say that a woman is an adult uh, human female? Why can't you just say that? Um, but they can't. No, and I think, you know, we get ourselves in just such a terrible mess as a society by not being brave enough. And it, that's what it is, actually, Mike. It's mm. a lack of courage. And, of course, different contexts, but it's exactly the same in the schools. Yeah. You know, the creep, and it's been this gradual creep of this very pernicious gender ideology that actually no one will, you know, it's being pushed by a very small minority, mm. but actually it's a majority who are too scared to stand up against it. So instead we have this, you know, subservience to political correctness yeah. and cost of that is safeguarding. And, you know, it's a safeguarding issue in sport. It's sort of leading to the destruction of women's sport. And in schools, it is actually a clear safeguarding issue where because we won't say, actually, this is ridiculous, our children should not be taught mm. this nonsense. They are being taught nonsense. They are being, you know, children with clear mental health issues, many of us would say, are being affirmed in different genders and led on a track to surgicalization and medicalization. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as a society, we've got we've got to be brave enough about saying actually there are lines, there are some biological realities, and and that is the way it is. Yeah, and as parents, you know, we have not only a responsibility but a duty to our own children uh, to take care of them, uh, regardless of what goes on in school. And I understand that you know, in some instances, you give your child to a school and you expect them to look after that child while they're in the school. But some of the things that are going on, for example, teachers saying that they won't tell parents. Uh, if a child has uh, decided to, to transgender or if a child has, has kind of started saying things that might suggest that that's what they're thinking of doing and the teachers are saying, oh, no, we can't tell the parents. That's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And it's it it's dangerous and it, it rather inverts or at least undermines the whole basis of whistleblowing law because obviously this whole idea is... Um, you know, it's a head teacher called Mike Fairclough who've, who's talked a lot yeah. about this and written a lot about this, that, you know, if you are concerned from the point of view of a member of the teaching staff, if you're concerned about a safeguarding issue, you have to be able to have a safe space almost in which to voice your concerns. I mean, you know, that is the essence of legal protections we give to whistleblowers mm -hmm. in this country. Whereas what we've seen happening with the few teachers um, who have stood up to say, no, actually, I'm, I, I'm not going to call a child by you know, different pronouns without speaking to the parents. I'm not going to call my class they, my class of all girls mm. they. Um, that actually these teachers have been sanctioned and in some cases they've lost their jobs. So it really is, I think, quite a serious safeguarding failure. And I think we'll look back in years to come, or not even years, months maybe to come, at many of these examples and just think we've lost our way really as a society. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And it hasn't been helped by some of these politicians who have refused to sort of, you know, make that courageous leap of, of, of truth as well. And just to say what is actually 
you know, biologically the case. You know, I don't understand it. But just going back to Parliament, um, finally, COVID inquiry, uh, interesting week for them. They've uh, basically said they want to have a look at all these WhatsApp messages. I mean, God knows how they're going to find the time to study them all. We'll be doing it for about 10 years at this rate. Uh, but they're saying they might actually charge people criminally if they don't hand over their WhatsApp messages. Surely a lot of these cabinet ministers are just going to erase them, aren't they? Well, I did wonder that this morning on my bike, actually. There you go. <laughs> um, the, um, I hope you didn't shout at any motorists. I did. Oh, we are never going to agree on this. I'd love to talk to you properly about this. But <laughs> well, yeah, we can, for we now. Can, do you know what? We can do it next week because Ride London is on this weekend, uh, which is going to basically completely and utterly stultify the great city of London for an entire day where all these bozos cycle about, um, you know, pretending they're you know, prolonging their own lives. Well, Ride London might not be the answer, but cycling is the way forward. It is the future. So get with the programme. Well, when you see my car, you'll understand why I don't like cycling. <laughs> um, back to the COVID inquiry. Yes. Um, no, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I think, brilliant. Go for it, Lady Hallett. You know, finally, the COVID inquiry is showing some metal here. Get the WhatsApps. I mean, I don't know. Can they delete them? I'd have thought they probably can't. Well, they can, them. no, because Lord Bethel did exactly that. And in the midst of the whole uh, Matt Hancock scenario with Isabel Oakeshott and when his, his WhatsApps became... Um, it turned out Isabel's has actually told us that there's a whole chunk of time that just disappeared out of his WhatsApp altogether. And Lord Bethel apparently claimed that he didn't know when he transferred all of his um, sort of information and data to his new phone that the WhatsApp messages would disappear simply untrue he's obviously deleted them yeah i mean look huge ethical huge legal issues one would have thought but i think there is a serious point here actually which is that for this period this extraordinary pandemic period certain members of the cabinet including johnson made a decision to conduct executive business via WhatsApp. Mm. So I think it has therefore become a matter of public, you know, and Lady Hallett agrees apparently, you know, what that business that was conducted by WhatsApp becomes a matter of of public interest. Yeah. Surely that be the case. If that's how cabinet meetings were effectively being conducted or bypassed, which we saw very vividly with the um, Hancock disclosures, they ought to be a matter of public record. Mm. And I tell you what, Mike, we, we have already learned more about the failings of the pandemic response from those Matt Hancock disclosures than I am assuming we may learn from the rest of the COVID inquiry put together. Absolutely. So I think they're doing exactly the right thing. I think there ought to be a legal obligation. And yeah, you know, if they refuse to comply it should be seen as a criminal matter yes i think that's right my worry as i say is that they can just easily sidestep it by going oh well you know i don't seem to have my whatsapps from you know 2020 march to you know 2021 september i don't know where they've gone nobody can find them because the thing about emails and the thing about other communications which the government does log is that they're always there they can't they can't be erased but i think whatsapps can yeah, and, well, and, and I was told by somebody the other day that an awful lot of MPs have started sending these messages now that disappear. You know, you get the message, you read it, and then it's gone, which is interesting. It, it, well, uh, it, I mean, there's a whole other question here about should we be conducting state business via WhatsApp, and actually, also partly because of the the traceability of it. But there's just there's a bigger question about does WhatsApp and the instantaneous, very snap, you know, messaging that it mm. encourages. And also messaging late at night, messaging after a few glasses of wine. Come on, you know, we've all done that. Is that really the way to make wise decisions? You'd and hope certainly not, wouldn't you? the evidence of Hancock implies that no, it is the antithesis of good 
decision making. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's a bigger question about how government conducts its business. Yeah, absolutely right. Good to see you, Molly. Thank you very much indeed. Enjoy the cycling at the weekend. Molly Kingsley, founder of Us For Them and cyclist. Uh, you know, I still like her. It's fine. Not a problem. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.